Welcome to church this morning. My name is Pierre, and I'm excited to share the word with you. If you're a guest here with us this morning, we hope you feel welcome. We hope you feel at home. Ultimately, today, we just want to focus on the finished work of the cross, the resurrection of Jesus. This is what this is all about. Um, so welcome to today. We hope that you benefit from an encounter with Jesus this morning, if you haven't already done so. This is usually, personally, my favorite day of the year. It is really the most significant message in all of time. I want you to hear that this morning. This is truly the most significant message in all of time. Yes, we gather every week, and there's so much depth to study, but it starts right here, and it ends right here. I was thinking about John the Baptist when he saw Jesus. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this morning, my prayer is that you would behold Jesus. This morning, I'm really not going to preach. I'm just going to be pointing to the Word. I'm just going to be reading with you and making some commentary. But the prayer this morning is that you would behold the Lamb of God, that you would behold Jesus, and that you wouldn't leave here today saying, wow, what a service, but that you would leave here saying, wow, what a Jesus. What a Savior, what a King, and that your life would be that song, all hail King Jesus, in the way that you live as you leave here. He is one, and there was a moment where death was proud, when Jesus let his last breath go out and he said it is finished, and he healed his spirit, where death stood up proud and thinking, I have won and I have overcome. There's been this battle for 33 years where the enemy has tried everything in his ability to trip Jesus up so that he would give in on this call to be the savior of the world. And in that moment, when he gave his last breath, death stood up with some pride in its heart once again, right as it was in the beginning when the enemy stood up with pride in his heart. But there was that miraculous breath that Jesus took and everything changed. And that's the reason why we gather here this morning. He has conquered and he has returned, as we heard on Friday, with the keys of death. It's now in his hands. He holds it. And therefore, there's so much to celebrate today. What I love about Jesus is that he started taking a low position. He came as a suffering servant. He didn't come with with royalty, with any pomp, with, with looking strong and courageous. He came as a tender shoot growing up before God, as we read this morning, as we're going to study further today. And he was the one that took the keys of death away from the enemy. My prayer this morning is that you would see the gospel message of Jesus Christ as the greatest message ever received. I thought about this. When I moved to the Western Cape in 2002 to Stellenbosch to study, it was probably about seven months in that one day I realized that I haven't noticed the mountains. I come from Pretoria. There's not a lot of mountains there. There's a bit of hills. But as a young boy, I realized I always loved our, especially Natal, the Mapumalanga trips, because we get to see some mountains. I absolutely love the mountains. And when I got to move to the Western Cape after school, I was just completely undone by seeing these mountains every day. But maybe about seven months in, there was a morning I woke up and I went through my day and at the end of the day, I noticed the mountains and I, I had a bit of a fright and I told myself, have I not noticed the mountains today? 
has that actually been true that for a whole day I've become so familiar with it that I haven't stopped to behold His beauty. And I made a, a, an honest request to God that night. I said, God, don't let me ever, while I'm living in the Western Cape, not see the mountains every single day. I actually prayed that. And you know what? I can honestly say that there has not been a day when I don't see the mountains and the splendor that we live in because we are utterly spoiled here where we live. Agree? Where I don't stop for a moment and just, and, and it looks different every single day depending on the weather. And I just marvel at its beauty. And I thought about that this morning is that often that's how we are with the gospel message. We've almost become familiar with the story of the cross. But my prayer this morning is like the mountains, we would break that, unfam that familiarity and become in a place again where we would stop daily and be awed by this powerful message of salvation. Because it is truly the greatest message ever. There is nothing like it. If your heart is in a place this morning where you say, I have, haven't stopped for a while to consider this message just open your heart as I'm going to pray for, you, for, for us today and say, Jesus, I don't want to let a day go by without noticing what you've done on the cross. Yes, there's depths and there's so many things we can teach and study, but ultimately it comes down to just this one moment. So let's pray together as we prepare to read the word. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would come and captivate our hearts. That as we study the account of the cross and what you've done, that we would be awed by this message again in such a way that every single day of our lives will completely be determined by it. That every single day of our lives we would find ourselves stopping in our tracks and observing again the powerful work of salvation that you have brought us. Lord, we pray this morning that you would forgive us for the times where we've become familiar with this message that we've neglected to consider this the greatest message ever told, the greatest truth ever revealed. And it's my prayer as we open your word, Lord, that no man receive any honor or any glory, but that you would anoint your words as you spoke through the prophet Isaiah and that people would leave here and that all of us would leave here responding to you and completely in awe of you and what you've done for us. May you use your servant this morning in the preaching of the word as you desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be reading from Isaiah chapter 52 and 53 this morning. The gospel account according to the prophet Isaiah. When we think gospel, we immediately jump to the New Testament, right? But 700 years before that moment, the complete gospel message was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah in a profound and incredible way, such compact description that you actually, when you read it, 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 just, it just hits you hard much more than reading the full gospel. I, I, I looked at it this week, I'm like, wow, 14 verses, and it just, it's the full story. But written so beautifully, so poetically, so powerfully, there was a prophetic revelation of what Jesus was going to do and who this Jesus is 700 years before he actually came to earth. And 700 years later, this prophecy and the revelation received a validation. Because every single thing that was said about this Jesus happened 700 years later. Isn't that amazing? 
That's the God we serve who stands outside of time, who could hold a prophecy in the heavens for 700 years. And then when Jesus comes, the manifestation of that takes place here on earth and he changes the course of history. What I love about this is that these are only a few of the things of hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus. Hundreds. I thought about this. Maybe that's why the world doesn't get this because they look at us and say, yeah, those Christians, they, they're on a trip. They must be drinking something. I'm thinking, yes, we are drinking something. We're drinking the, little, the living water. Do you want a little bit of that? Because there are 400 prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament that was completely fulfilled in the New Testament. Do you hear that this morning? Years and years later, different people at different times prophesied about this Christ and he came and he validated each one of those things. So from revelation in the prophetic to the validation in Christ, and today we celebrate the salvation. That's the message that we're going to look at this morning. Before we read, context is important. Isaiah 52 takes place at, at, at the moment where Israel and Jerusalem were taken captive by the Babylonians. The place that God created as his city and where he was meant to rule with his people were taken captive and the enemy usurped the throne that belonged to God. And it's a picture of the modern-day enemy that we, fight, that we fight in this world, the spirit of this world, the governance of this world that comes and knocks at the, the hearts of all of our lives and says, I want to take that throne which rightly belongs to God. And the Israelites are finding themselves in this turmoil because the enemy has taken over. And Isaiah 52 rings the beautiful words that, Beautiful are the feet of the sound of those who bring the good news. That's where it starts. We know that you're in a place of captivity, God is saying. God is speaking to his people. I know there's captivity, but listen. Just like we listened for the breath that Jesus took when all of heaven went silent. He says, listen, there's a beautiful sound of good news coming your way. That sets the tone for what we're going to read together this morning. And I thought about this, the Babylonian empire and what it represented is so alive today still in this world. Where the enemy is trying everything in his power and ability to come in and usurp the throne and rightful place of God in our own lives. And I don't know where you might find yourself. You might be here this morning saying, I'm, I'm sensing a bit of captivity in my spirit. The message to you this morning is listen. For beautiful is the feed the sound of those is bringing good news this morning. You're going to receive good news. And God's going to take his rightful place in the throne of your heart again today. So let's read together. It'll be up on the screen. You can follow there. Isaiah 52, last few verses, sets up Isaiah 53. And it's titled, The Suffering Servant. It starts off by speaking about Jesus. See, my servant will be prosperous. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. Let's pause there for a moment. It starts by saying that Jesus will be prosperous. It starts at the beginning. 
It's the start of the story of the cross and Calvary and what he's done, but it starts with the promise that yes, he will face death and he will carry sin and he will die, but in the end he will be prosperous. That's the beauty of the prophetic word of God in our lives. It always starts with where we will end up. And this message being told to the Israelites, the gospel being preached says, hang in there. There's a message to be told, but let me tell you first that the message ends in hope and it ends in Jesus being prosperous. I read this, he was disfigured beyond that of any human being. I don't think Jesus could have been recognized as a human after they've beat him up the way they have. Anyone seen the Passion of the Christ? I think that's maybe 50% of what he actually looked like. Because the prophecy said, and the stories ring, that he was so disfigured it didn't even look like a human anymore. But let's see how this continues. Next, next few verses. So will many nations be amazed by him. Isn't that powerful? And kings will shut their mouths because of him. The kings of this world, in all their splendor and glory and riches, cannot compare to Christ and who he is. And if they had to come in a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus, there won't be any words left. The rulers of today, society of the world, the rulers of the earth, the presidents, whatever you want to call them, the Bible says that they will shut their mouths and be amazed at this Jesus, this prosperous King of Kings. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Jesus started as a small little shoot on parched ground. Imagine with me for a minute a piece of parched land and just a little bit of green coming out. Have you seen that picture before? That's where Jesus started. He didn't rush into, into earth with, with the whole splendor of heaven behind him and, and announcing, here I am. He started low and gentle and he started growing for 33 years before God until he got to a place when he was ready for the full glory of God to be revealed. And for 33 years, the enemy had tried everything to stomp on that tender shoot and break it. Say that Jesus was tempted in every way that we were and that we are as humans. Think of every temptation you faced. Jesus has faced that. The enemy has come and, come and knocked at the door of his heart and his humanness while he was human in any possible way to stomp on the little tender shoot. But God, in his prosperous plan, made sure that Jesus grew up to be the stature and the living oak and, and the righteousness of God today that we get to serve. If you see a little plant, I'm not much into gardening, and I'm, almost, I'm always quite impressed by my father-in-law because he's got something like 40 different fruit trees in his backyard. 
But he would tell me he's got 40 different trees, and we would go to the backyard. I'm like, well, show me the trees. And like, well, there's the pomegranates, and there's peach number one and peach number two, and here's some, some grapes, and there's papaya. And he says, and over there, I've got an avocado tree. And I'm like, I don't see the avocado tree. And then he takes me to a little pot plant, and he's, he shows me this little thing. He says, that's the avocado tree. I'm like, no, that's not a tree. That's a little bit of green. He says, no, it's an avocado tree. That's where Jesus started, like that, lowly, as a servant, out of Bethlehem, where people said, what good thing can come out of there? Isn't this amazing? That that Jesus, the tender shoot, grew into something that conquered the entire world. Let's continue and read what Isaiah prophesied. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Not just feeling pain, befriending pain. The word familiar comes from the word familiar, which means to be knitted together as family. Christ was fully knitted together with pain. And that pain is all ours that he lived with and he carried on a cross. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised and we held him in a low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Beating after beating that Jesus took was your sin and your pain. Every single beating. And on his head he wore the thorns of our sin, pressed into his skull. And through his hands and his feet were nailed the nails of our sin onto that wooden cross. And to his side was pierced with a spear, the spear of our sin, because he bore our iniquities upon himself. And here it is, the twist in the story. It says, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. Up until this point, there's not a whole lot of peace in the story but all of a sudden, God steps in and he says, he was punished so that you, my people, my children, can experience the peace of heaven. And by his wounds, we are healed. We are healed completely in our spirit and manifested. We can be healed in our bodies. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Haven't we all? Each one has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted yet he did not open his mouth. Strong imagery here that God uses, and he explains something of the Jewish tradition and, and the Israel tradition of the people of God, that where the high priest would have a scapegoat in the presence of God, and he would lay his hands on the scapegoat and transfer all the sins of the, of the people of God onto the scapegoat, and they'll slaughter it. And here it said, what God done, God the Father is, he said, Christ, my son, Jesus, I'm going to lay all the sins on you. Like the priest has done with the scapegoat, I'm going to put my hand on you and you will carry 
and in your spirit and in your body bear all the sins of the world and you will be punished for it so that people can have peace. This is the greatest message that we can ever hear. That everything I've done, every place that I'm broken in, the Father has laid upon Jesus. And then, never, not once, did Jesus open his mouth. He never stopped that road of torture to Golgotha and said, wait a minute, I've done nothing wrong. There's a scripture that I absolutely love. I've quoted it a few times. You are God in heaven and here we are on earth, so we let our words be few. Jesus resolved in his heart that he's not gonna open his mouth. He's gonna be quiet. He never said at any point, I'm doing this so that all of you can be saved. He just walked in it because he loved us so much. And he kept quiet. He didn't allow the enemy at any point to trip him up and to stomp on him. But for the purpose of God to be completely fulfilled. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Oppression and judgment is where we should have been because of everything we have done. And Jesus stepped in and said, I'll take that oppression and I'll take that judgment and I'll walk with it to the cross and I'll be quiet so that you can be free and experience peace. And then an interesting question. Yet, who of his generation protested? No one stood up in that moment when Jesus was nailed to the cross to say, whoa, 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 something is out of line here. No one protested and said, this shouldn't be happening because that man is innocent. Everyone kept silent and let the purpose of God be redeemed. And I want you to see for this first section the imagery that God uses. It starts with a little green shoot out of parched land and it ends with a full-grown tree that Jesus is nailed onto. From a little shoot to a tree. For 33 years, Jesus has walked familiar with pain, ready to take on death once and for all. And I wrote this down as a thought on this first section. From a tender shoot to a cursed tree, he bore our sins to set us free. This great exchange at Calvary, no greater love, our liberty. This is the greatest message ever told. This week I was undone with my own life, my own sinfulness, my own brokenness, and I went back to Christ and said, Jesus, you have taken it. Once again, I thank you for that finished work. You have removed my iniquities away from me as far as the east is from the west. And now I can have peace again because that punishment was upon you. It's not upon me. And that was the moment of the cross. The cross was done. And then we see the prophets speak about the moment after that when Jesus faced death. For he was cut off from the land of the living. No more life in him. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit 
in his mouth. Not only did he die not saying anything, there was no deceit in his mouth, but when he gave up his spirit and he faced death and he was cut off from the land of living, he was laid to rest in a tomb with sinners. Prophetic picture that Jesus went to the place of death because he is ready to resurrect the sinners again. Isn't that powerful? Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. So God wanted Jesus to suffer and crush him. Is that the question this morning? The Bible says it was his will. Wanting to is another question. But what I get from that is that he didn't want us to be crushed and suffering like Jesus. The great exchange that instead of you laying it on the sun, the spotless lamb. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, here's the promise again. He will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands after he has suffered. He will see the light of life and be satisfied. Back to the beginning where this all started. My servant will be prosperous. Yes, it was what I, what I will to do, to put all of the sin of the world on you, my son. But I know that there's, a, there's an end to this. We're gonna, we're gonna know that there's a hopeful moment that you're gonna come back from life. And everything you do will be prosperous and all your offspring following and come behind you will be prosperous because of this moment. And then it says, he shall see the light of life. For three days it was death and darkness. And Jesus took the miraculous breath and light broke through once again. And Christ was satisfied because he's done it. He's paid the price. And you know what, what, what's even greater than that? The wrath of God, the Bible says, was satisfied in that moment. Never again does God look at us with an anger and a wrath upon us. Whatever you have done and whatever you have walked, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus in between yourself and him. The filter that he looks through is this moment of pain when God's wrath was completely satisfied, when he poured it all out onto Jesus, when Jesus took the cup and he drank all the sin and the sickness of, his, of the world and it became part of his body and he died. That's what God sees. So not only is Christ satisfied that he fulfilled his purpose, but the Father is satisfied that all wrath is taken care of. And therefore we can come boldly in a morning like this and sing the songs we do and celebrate the life we have because he has conquered death. And the story continues. From a cursed tree to a crushing death exchanged his throne for a pit beneath. Darkness came and proud was death, but a light broke through with living breath. That's what Jesus did. The death the wages of sin that we were meant to carry, he took upon himself and he broke through with living breath. And we get to live and breathe in that. And in the final part of this incredible gospel, according to Isaiah, is the present and future reign of Jesus. It says, by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. And he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, 
because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He came as a gentle shoot. He withstood all the temptation, the enemy for 33 years. He kept quiet, and God laid all the sin upon him. He was tortured and disfigured in a way that he wasn't human anymore. He was crushed unto death and laid in a tomb, and he rose and breaking through with light, and today he justifies many. Isn't that powerful? He justifies many. All of us have gone astray like sheep, but the Lord is calling us back to him. Light of the world now reigns on high. The wrath of God now satisfied. The tender shoot now glorified breathes intercession for you and I. It ends by saying that this Jesus who also justifies is right now in heaven praying for each one of you, making intercession for us. Not only did he come to conquer sin and death, not only did he come to overcome the wages of sin, but today he's ruling and he's prosperous and he justifies many and he's praying for each one of us. Jesus, get this this morning. I want you to get this. Christ is in heaven interceding for you. Do you get this? Christ is in heaven praying and interceding for you. That's the fullness that he has for each one of us. And that's the full story that we celebrate today. It didn't end by him ascending to heaven, being disconnected from us, but he's actually in heaven interceding for each one of us. And this is what makes me get to a place like this and say, God, have we neglected to be in awe of this message? But we just reduce it to, you know what, Jesus loves you and he likes to take away your sin. So why don't you come and repent and pray a prayer and that's it. When last did we stop and think through the whole thing? But every time you trip up and make a mistake, you think about the fact that the Father laid His hand on Christ and said, all the sin I put on you. But every time you are battling with an infirmity in your body, you start to consider not just a quick familiar prayer, but a heartfelt prayer of kneeling in your heart and saying, Jesus, you took this completely and you've set me free. I now can have peace because the punishment was on you. Many of you might feel that you're in a place of punishment this morning because the throne of Babylon has taken place in your life. But there's good news for you this morning where he says, I'm gonna come and set you free. So I want to invite us, as Brian ministers this song, to consider these words. I'm just going to read these three passages again. From a tender shoot to a cursed tree, he bore our sins to set us free. This great exchange at Calvary, no greater love, our liberty. From a cursed tree to a crushing death, exchanged his throne for a pit beneath. 
Darkness came and proud was death, but a light, light broke through with living breath. Light of the world now reigns on high, the wrath of God now satisfied. The tender shoot now glorified, breathes intercession for you and I. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, that we can consider what you've done once more. That the gospel of salvation is enough. Lord, I pray that we would know this morning that all our punishment, all our shame, all our sin has been laid to rest. And this morning, Lord, you invite us again into intimacy with you and to a place at the foot of the cross where we can come. I thank you for what you've done. Thank you, Jesus.